Hey y'all, Evan here, and I hope this message finds you and your dear ones keeping safe, well, and warm. It's been a little while since you've heard from me because to quote Willie, I've been on the road again gathering material for next season, which I'm excited to share with you in 2022. In fact, I've driven well over 5,000 miles since October, am presently en route home for Christmas, and in recognition of the holidays felt moved to share something a little special and different with you. It's only fair to acknowledge that vanishing postcards probably wouldn't exist if not for other storytellers who came first. And towards that matter, few have inspired me more than CBS's Charles Kuralt, who invited audiences to follow him on the road as he traveled this country's backroads for nearly three decades. And every man journalist, his affectionate, relatable, sometimes funny, and frequently moving portraits of American life, led some to proclaim him the Walt Whitman of television. And in working on this show, I kid you not, I've often begged the question, what would Charles Kuralt do? And two years ago, when this project was little more than a vague idea, I found myself scouring the internet for his old segments and writings for inspiration. It was around then I happened upon this essay he penned late in life, in which he shared a personal Christmas story that touched me so much, I couldn't help but record it. And while I doubt my voice will be mistaken for Kuralt's iconic baritone anytime soon, I'm honored to present this reading I performed in studio with the exquisite musical backing of pianist and arranger Kathleen Landis as a personal gift to you this season. I'm Evan Stern, and this is a special holiday bonus edition of Vanishing Postcards. Charles Kuralt's Christmas. I can see the cold moon shining through the branches of the sycamore tree and casting shadows on the upstairs bedroom wall. I can see a little boy, five years old, lying perfectly still under a pile of quilts on the feather bed. He is studying the shadows and listening for reindeer hooves. I can feel his heart pounding. It is my own heart. Back then it was pure, and it beat in the chest of a true believer. I knew the rules. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I had not cried or pouted for a month, and now the night was here. This very night, Santa Claus was flying through the air bringing presents to good boys and girls and bundles of switches to naughty ones. I lay in the silent darkness, breathless with excitement. How good did a child have to be? Or how naughty? Emphatically, I did not want a bundle of switches. I wanted a bicycle. My mother and father had told me a bicycle was too much to ask for, but I had written my own letter to Santa, enclosing a picture of the bicycle I had clipped from the Sears Roebuck catalog, and I had given the letter to my grandmother to mail. If he did not think I was old enough for a bicycle this year, I told Santa Claus maybe he could bring it next year. I wanted to put the idea into his head. And now I lay still listening for the landing of the sled on the roof, listening 
listening. The year was 1939, one of those depression years when Santa Claus didn't have enough presents to go around. The place was the farm of John and Rena Bishop, my grandparents, a long way down a dirt road in Onslow County, North Carolina. The house had no electricity or indoor plumbing, but it had a warm kitchen where my grandmother baked sugar cookies in the wood stove in the days before Christmas. It had a formal front room, used only for weddings and funerals and Christmases. And there we hung tinsel and popcorn garlands on a cedar tree my father had found passed over by the loggers on the logging road. At sundown on Christmas Eve, my grandfather went out to the old bell that was mounted on a post in the side yard and gave it a good ringing, an invitation to anyone passing by on the road to come to the house for supper. No one ever came, but the old man continued that custom until he died, because he remembered his own father ringing the bell on Christmas Eve. In those days, he said, sometimes someone would come and we could feed him and never even ask him his name. I live in a city now and feel bad for having no bell to ring. And after supper, by the light of a kerosene lamp, we made a pot of hot chocolate, not forgetting to leave a cup on the hearth for Santa Claus and a plate of cookies for his reindeer. We hung a big wool hunting sock for Santa to fill if he chose, and I climbed the stairs to the spare bedroom, undressed in the dark, wriggled between the cold sheets, and began my rapt vigil with the sycamore shadows. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. But how could he know for sure? I would be very still when the sled landed on the roof and closed my eyes tightly. I tried it. I closed my eyes. I woke in the light of morning. I ran down the stairs in my pajamas into the front room and straight to the hearth. The hot chocolate cup was empty. The cookie plate held only crumbs. He had been there. I looked up at the sock. It was lumpy and full. I could see a bright orange and a striped candy cane poking from the top. He had been there. He had come down the chimney and filled my stocking and drunk our hot chocolate right down. I was so dumbstruck with joy that I didn't look farther than the hearth until my mother and father had come into the room pulling on their bathrobes. Why, look here, my father said. I looked. On the other side of the Christmas tree, propped up on its kickstand, was a bicycle, bright red, with a silver bell mounted on shiny handlebars. I walked over to that bicycle, afraid to touch it. I felt a thrill like no other of my life before or after. I thought the bicycle might be meant for some other little boy. I thought Santa might have left it in his haste by mistake. Nope, my father said. Seems to be your size. I think it's yours. Later in the morning, Buck came by. He was a little older than I was, the youngest child of the black tenant family that lived a mile down the road. He wanted to show me the new belt he got for Christmas. I showed him my bicycle. He said, I'll teach you how to ride it. I spent most of the rest of the day watching Buck ride around and around on the dirt side of the yard, 
bumping over the sycamore roots, circling the black pot my grandmother used to wash clothes, speeding down the hill to the corn crib and barn, and pedaling back up again, jingling the bell. You see, he said, it's easy. I was glad when Buck's sister finally showed up to fetch him home. Since his riding lessons hadn't helped me a bit, I ran beside the bicycle for a while, pretending I was riding. Before dark, I found a rag and wiped the dust from the fenders and the spokes of the wheels. And when the bike was shining anew again, I parked it back in the front room to keep it from getting cold at night. This is a prideful and materialistic story. I know. But I excuse myself. I was only five, and anyhow, there were spiritual elements to that Christmas. There was the sacrifice two loving parents made to give their child a present they barely could afford, the closeness of family, the baking of cookies together and the decoration of the tree, and the virtue of sharing. I think I kept myself from hollering to Buck to give me back my bicycle. I have warm memories of many Southern Christmases, of candles in the windows, of country ham and sweet potatoes on the table, of carols on the Victrola, and of a homemade holly wreath always on the door. Christmas is the best of southern seasons, but the best Christmas was the one when I was five, before worldliness and wisdom began to set in. That year, great gifts came flying through the air, free for the wishing. I wish every child one Christmas just like that. All it takes is faith. Weeks later, playing in the attic, I came upon a big cardboard box and made out the printed words on the side. Elgin Bicycle, Sears, Roebuck, and Company. This did not shake my belief at all. I raced downstairs to tell everybody the news. Santa Claus left a box for the bicycle in the attic for when we have to move. Singing carols, stringing popcorn, making footprints in the snow. Memories, Christmas memories are the sweetest ones I know. Cookies baking in the kitchen Cards and ribbons everywhere Memories, Christmas memories Float like snowflakes in the air Oh, the joy of waking Christmas morning The family round the tree Christmas morning As merry as can be I close my eyes and see Shining faces Of all the children 
who now have children of their own. Funny, but comes December, and I remember every Christmas. Christmas morning, as merry as can be, I close my eyes and see shining faces of all the children who now have children of their own. Funny, but comes December. And I remember every Christmas.